Let's look together at Ephesians chapter 6. Turn with me, please. We continue our study on the armor of God. Well, really, we began uh, looking at standing against the wiles of the devil, and that brought us all the way back to being sat together, seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and then learning how to walk, and now learning how to stand. That's where we are this morning. You cannot stand, ever stand against the wiles of the devil until you learn to sit in heavenly places. That's where the battle begins. And we can never really stand against the wiles of the devil unless we learn to walk. Walk circumspectly. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Walk not like you used to walk. We've been looking at standing against the wiles of the devil. We come to the next part of our armory. The scriptures tell us, as we looked a moment ago at the children, the sword and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is the next part of what has been granted to us. I remind you that we are commanded to put on the whole armor of God. So all of this is from God. This is a gift from Him. This is not our armor that we made ourselves, that we purchased ourselves, that we figured out cleverly ourselves. This is not us. We sat down together one day with a council somewhere and decided uh, that we were going to figure out the best way to fight against the devil. No, this is what God has given us. It's from him. He's the source of it. And we find that even more clearly articulated in this part, this particular part of the armor, the sword of the spirit. The source of this spirit is from God himself and from his spirit. This sword is specifically given to us from the spirit of God. It's interesting as we consider this part of the armor that we cannot properly use it or understand it without the author of it, without the giver of it. You can't really understand the use of your car until you have some sort of understanding of how the manufacturer has put it together and instructed you to use it. Most of us, if you buy a new gadget, at least glance at the, at the owner's manual. We realize that the one who made it knows best. And so it is with this sword, this weapon that we've been given. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 gives us an understanding about this book, this weapon, this sword that we've been given. And we're told that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. From the very beginning of that book until the end of that book, we know with authority and certainty that this was given by God, inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. God spoke and it was written down for you. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21. Uh, so that was Paul telling us and now Peter tells us the very in the very same way. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Meaning men didn't get up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to write a book. And that's what the secularist thinks. That's what the atheist thinks. That's what the modernist thinks. That this is simply a collection of man's writings. But the Bible tells us that this is not the case. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
What you hold in your hand is the word of God. Now, many people have tried their best to pick apart this book. They've tried to spread and sow seeds of doubt into the minds of those who believe it. And many people have tried to, to say, well, the Bible contains the word of God. That's a fallacy. That's a lie. The Bible is the word of God. It doesn't just contain the word of God. You see, when you say things like that, immediately you put doubt into somebody's mind. When you say this contains the word of God, what you're saying is that not all of it is the word of God, but the word of some of it is. Now, when you say things like that, now people begin to wonder what part is and what part isn't. It is all his word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And the spirit of God is the author. Now, he has human penmen, instruments. Those who he dictated to, he spoke, and they, with, a, with ink and, 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 and quill, wrote the words down. Now, some people have tried in this text, if you look with me in Ephesians 6 and verse number 17, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, the Greek word for word there is rhema. And some people try to, have tried to say, well, this is the spoken Word of God. And they try to make a distinction between that and the logos or the written Word of God. But can I tell you something? Would you look this way? That's dangerous. As if to say, as if to say that the sword that we use in battle is what we're waiting to hear from God in the heat of the battle. Now, I do believe God speaks to us in the battle. No doubt about it. I do believe that he guides us. But to try to separate that from this book is very dangerous. As if to say you don't know what to use in a battle. As if to say you don't really know what to, what, how to fight in the middle of a battle. That's dangerous. The weapon we have against Satan is not an unexpected word that's given simply at the moment of conflict. Conflict. Can the Lord speak to us in conflict? Of course. But the rest of the armor that's given to us and spoken of in this passage is a definite series of articles specific. We understand what it is. And so it is with this sword. We know what the sword is. We're not waiting for a message to be written in the sky as our way of escape. Now we ought to be waiting to be directed by God's spirit and his word. We'll look at that in a moment. But don't get confused because, because of that word. By the way, the written word is his spoken word. It was spoken and written down. So do not be confused. Don't make yourself a problem that you don't need to have. Now, we are, we are told very clearly in God's word about this. We're going to look at it here in a moment. Uh, we know how to use all of these articles, these, these pieces of the armory. And we also know how to use the sword. The sword is given by the Spirit of God because He produced it. He chose human men, human penmen. He revealed to them His Word. They recorded it. This is not, I repeat, this is not just some human document. This is God's Word breathed out for us. Now let's talk for a second about a sword. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit. This book that you hold in your hand is called the sword of the spirit. Now, what a name. What a name to be given. It's not called a book of poetry, although there's poetry in it. It's not called, some people say it's a love letter. Well, there is some love messages to us. This is a sword. It's a weapon. No wonder it's been outlawed in how many different countries around the world. I don't know of too many books 
that have been outlawed. It's interesting to me that people say that's just a bunch of fairy tales. I've never heard of another fairy tale book outlawed. Have you? Interesting. It's the sword. I mentioned to the children referring to that short Roman sword that would be used in close battle. That's what this book is. And in looking at the, the armor of God, this is the most conspicuously offensive weapon. The rest of the armor is defensive, right? You put on a breastplate to protect yourself. You pick up a shield to protect yourself. You put on a helmet to protect yourself. And although those things have an offensive uh, part of them as well, but this sword is the most obviously offensive part of the armory. It's a weapon. Now, it's both defensive and offensive. We spoke about a moment ago with the children. Think about a sword being defensive for a moment. And think about this book being defensive now for just a moment. A sword can keep back the enemy himself. I love this thought. You put on a breastplate and that protects you from an arrow from the enemy. Or maybe a weapon of the enemy. A helmet does the same, but a sword protects you from the enemy himself. Because the enemy can't get close to you when you've got your sword a swinging. So this weapon is defensive in, in the fact that it keeps the enemy at bay. In fact, we're told, resist the devil and he will, what? Flee from you. The sword keeps back the enemy as a whole, the enemy himself. But it is also offensive. We can repel the enemy and we can attack the enemy with this weapon, with this word. You can resist the attacks of Satan and in the same breath, send him running. And sometimes we forget this as a child of God. We don't just have the power to stop Satan, but we have the power to make him run. Can I say that again? You and I do not just have the power to stop Satan. Sometimes I feel like that. Do you? Sometimes I feel like the only thing I can do is crouch down behind my shield and just hide until, until he stops. But that's, that's a lie. We do not just have the ability to stop him, but by the power of God's spirit in his word, we have the power and the ability to attack him and send him running. Now, not because we're good. Now, some people get a little carried away with this, don't they? Now, I'm going to suck the devil in the eye. I'm going to do this. And Well, don't get out of hand. Don't get proud about this. But God has given us a weapon. Not your word. Not your thinking. His word. This is our weapon. Now, it's interesting when you think about this. Satan knows that. Satan knows very well that God has given unto his children something, the only thing that can stop him and defeat him. And so because of that, Satan gives a lot of his energy and effort into making us afraid, frightening us, making us think that he is all powerful, making us think that we cannot stand against him, making us think that he's got us defeated making us think that we'll never, ever get over this, that we'll never be able to resist. And so he works overtime. He's walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I wonder, have any of you felt lately a little bit frightened or defeated by the enemy? Do you know how that feels? 
Do you know how it feels to have all the, all the attacks and accusations of Satan filling your mind and flooding your thoughts and feeling as if you, you are already defeated and the enemy is, has given a death blow to you? You know what that feels like? But I'm telling you this morning that we don't have to live like that. We must not shrink back in fear. We must not live like we are defeated. We cannot. We can resist Satan. We can make him run. But let me tell you this morning, he is very powerful, but he is not all powerful. That belongs to God. He is powerful. But he is not all powerful. That's God. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is all powerful. And our all powerful God has given us an all powerful weapon. It's amazing when you think about this sword. That it is sufficient. Peter calls it a more sure word. Peter says, after all the things I've seen, by the way, Peter with his own eyes watched the miracles of Jesus Christ. Peter, Peter with his own eyes watched Jesus Christ raise people from the dead. He was there when Lazarus came out of the tomb. He watched the blind eyes open and he, he watched the, the lame man healed. He watched demons cast out. He saw the resurrected Savior. But Peter stood up and said, look, we've got a more sure word. This sword is more sure and certain and powerful than every experience you'll ever have. Now, I praise God for experiences. I remember that quote. We, we know as much of God as we have experienced. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of truth and validity to that. I thank God for experiences, but the memory of experiences fade, doesn't it? And sometimes the memory of our experiences changes. Just like the little boy that, Went fishing and caught a fish like that. And by the time he got home, the fish was like that. The memory of what he had done and accomplished had somehow changed along the way. That's the way we are. And uh, I wasn't really a very well-acclaimed American football player. But the older I get, the better I looked. That's the way we are. The further away from an experience we get, the more that experience changes. But this word never changes. It's sure and certain and powerful. It's amazing. We find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that this book is eternal. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8. Isaiah the prophet says this, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It's never going to pass away. Peter tells us the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 25. He tells us the very same thing. The word of the Lord endureth forever. Now, can I tell you, Satan's attack is going to end. Are you listening? The attack that Satan has on you this morning is going to stop. It'll end, but this book will never end. The temptation is not eternal. It's just for a moment. But this sword is eternal. Long after you've been delivered from the enemy, Long after his arrows and long after his weapons that once caused you so much pain, long after those weapons are destroyed, we will still be holding this book. That ought to bring you comfort and courage. Satan's arrows are not eternal. 
Satan's weapons are not eternal. His wounds are not. He may scar us. He may wound us, but it's not going to last forever. Now, we know that the sword is this book. And we know we learn something of how to use it and what it's useful for in his word. Let's talk for a second about the use of it. Now, the Lord Jesus in his life quoted the Old Testament, which was the only part of the word that was established in his day. They quoted that book more than 80 times that were given in Scripture. They say that 10% of Christ's teachings in the New Testament are simply quotations or allusions alluding to Old Testament Scripture. Think about that. Something like 1,800 verses. Out of 1,800 verses, 180 verses are Old Testament Scriptures being quoted. Isn't that something? Now, I wonder how. what percentage of the words that come out of your mouth are Scripture? What percentage of the words that come out of your mouth are from God's Word or, or refer to God's Word? Or are you so preoccupied with sport, football, politics, coronavirus? Are you so preoccupied with everything else that you don't really speak much about this? If Jesus gave one-tenth, ten percent of his words, well, his word is God's word, but if he quoted the Old Testament, how much more should we be constantly quoting the word? There are some people I love to be around. I can think of a couple of people right now, a couple of men. I love to be with them because every time I'm with them, the only thing we talk about is God. That's the only thing we talk about. Everything. It's like they open their mouth and scripture falls out. It's like they open their mouth and praise comes out. That's the way we ought to be. We ought to use this sword. Now, I can't help but think about that verse in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm sure you thought of it as well. It's the theme verse for our children's Bible club on a Wednesday night, the Sword Club. And I can remember the looks of some unconverted parents when they brought their children to the Sword Club many years ago for the first time. And as they were a little concerned that we would have a, a Sword Club. They didn't know what to expect, but the children were very excited to hear about a Sword Club. And of course, many of them had no idea what we were referring to. I can imagine in their minds, they thought we were going to be playing with swords. But we are. We're not playing, but we're learning to use this weapon. And Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Think about those three words, quick. It means it's alive. It's living. Spurgeon said one time, The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. That's a good quote, isn't it? You don't have to defend this book. All you have to do is preach it. All you have to do is use it. You don't have to defend it. It's truth. Truth needs no defense. It is true. It stands firm. And so if we can learn to use, let the word loose, we'll be a whole lot more effective. It's quick living. That's interesting to me. I can read this book. I can read a passage. I can read a chapter a hundred times. And every time I read it, find something new. It's amazing. There's no other book like it. It's quick and it's powerful. The next time you're tempted to think that Satan is all powerful and that his attack and that his word is powerful, remind him that the word of God is quick and powerful. Sometimes I, I, I hear the temptations and the accusations of the enemy so strongly that it sounds like truth. You ever been there before? 
Sometimes I feel and think things in my mind and heart, and it appears and thinks, I think it to be so true. I'm, I'm tempted to think that it's true, but it's not. Satan is not the author of truth. He's the author of confusion. He's the father of all lies. But God's word is true and his word is powerful. It puts to flight all the powers of darkness. It dissipates your doubts. It drives away all your fears and delivers you from the power of Satan himself. His word is quick and powerful and sharp. Sharp. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me, Ooh, that was a little bit strong this morning. That was a little... What they mean to say is that was a little bit sharp. Because the word of God is sharp. It's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Meaning any way you turn it, it'll cut you. Any way you open it, it'll cut you. And it was designed that way. Some people, that's why some people try to avoid particular passages of scripture. I've been there before, haven't you? But maybe there's something not quite right in my life. I come to a passage, ugh, that uh, speaks about that. I kind of skip over it. Why? Because it's sharp. It's sharp. Piercing. The scriptures say, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. It's able to cut between the soul and spirit. It goes on to say, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents or intentions of the heart. No one else can do that. You ever been in a meeting before and it was like God, the spirit of God took a sword itself and just placed it right inside. And you left and you knew that God had spoken to you. That's what this book has the power to do. Has the, and if it has the power to do that to you, to show you, show us where we've gone wrong, to show us what needs to be made right. That's what I love about what Tim, Timothy writes, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And this book is profitable. Watch what it can do. This book is profitable for doctrine. It teaches you what to believe. There's so much heresy in the world, so much false teaching in the world. And Jesus said that in the last days, it's going to get worse. There'll be more false teaching. In the, and is that not true? There are more cults today than ever. There are more wackos on the television than ever. There are more perversions than ever before. But this book will tell you what to believe. You don't have to listen to a man with a funny accent and a tie telling you what to believe. The word will tell you. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It tells you when you're wrong. Nobody likes to be reproved, do we? My children love to be praised. They love to be encouraged. They love for me to say, well done. You've done a fantastic job. I'm proud of you. Well done. They love to hear that. But none of them like to be reproved. None of them like to hear, you shouldn't have done that. None of them like to hear, now straighten up. Not one of my children likes me to say, now why did you do that? You should see the look on their face. Harper, all I have to do is look at her or say, something to her and she's in tears because she doesn't like to be reproved nor do you and I but we need to be reproved we need to be reproved and the scripture reproves us but it doesn't just reprove us but it corrects us now you're not a good father or a good mother if all you ever do is shout at your children and tell them how bad they are you're not helping your children if all you do is point out all the wrong they've done 
but you will help them if you tell them what's wrong and tell them how to fix it. That's a good parent. The modern society today it says don't tell a child they've done wrong. The modern world today says don't, don't you'll crush a child's spirit. Don't tell a child no. Don't tell them that they're wrong. Don't tell them that they're bad. Just, you know, use positive reinforcement. That's nonsense. If I try to tell a judge that after I've committed a crime, is that going to fly? Well, judge, hold on. Don't tell me I'm wrong, okay? Just give me positive reinforcement. It's not going to work. So how do you expect it to work with your child? Tell them what's wrong and show them how to fix it. That's what God does with this book. Shows us where we've gone wrong. Shows us how to, how to correct it. And then he shows us how to keep it right. So the Bible says it's, it's profitable for doctrine, what to believe, for reproof to show us where we're wrong, for correction, how to get it right, for instruction and in righteousness, how to keep it right. And if you neglect this book, if I neglect this book, then very soon I'll be messed up with what I believe. I'll be avoiding. I won't be able to see where I'm wrong and I won't be able to see how to get it right. And I'll be very soon making the same mistake again because I won't know how to keep it right. But this book has the power to do that. It's amazing to think about the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to give you one more passage and then we'll close. The Lord Jesus taught us how to use it. And we know that the sword of the Spirit is more than just a, a, a mystical waiting for a voice to come in the sky when we, when we have a problem. We know, it, we know that because when Jesus was tempted, what did he do? When Jesus was tempted, did he sort of hang out there and wait? For some word or some message in the sky? What did Christ do when he was tempted? He quoted the word. The word that was already written. And that's the best thing you and I can do. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereunto unto thy law. The word that's already been written. If you're waiting for some mystical sign in the sky, you're in trouble, my friend. You've been given a sign, 66 books long. Open it and read it. And if he speaks to you, confirms with other things, praise his holy name. But this will be the foundation and basis from which all of those things come. The Bible says in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered. And said, Jesus answered to Satan and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up unto the holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone and Jesus said unto him it is written again thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God and again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me then saith Jesus unto him get thee hence Satan for, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The only way you'll ever resist the temptations of Satan and the attack of the wicked one is if you use this book. No other way. No, I've been there before. I failed because I failed to pick up the sword. 
I have been struck by the enemy because I failed to use this sword. I failed to say it is written. This is what the word says. No. I failed. Have you? How many times have we failed to use his word? And perhaps some of the reasons that we fail to use his word is because we don't know it. Jesus knew it. He didn't have to say, hold on a moment. I think there's a verse for that. Let me get my Bible app out and look so it. No, he knew it. It was hidden in his heart. We're, to, we're told to hide God's word in our heart. We're told to memorize it. We're told to dwell on it, meditate on it. The one commentator said that the Christian soldier ought to learn how to handle the word, how to heed the word, how to hide the word in our hearts, and how to hold fast, hold forth the word of God amongst all nations. The sword of the Spirit. Now I'll give you this thought and I'll close. The sword of the Spirit can only ever be used properly, the way it should be used, under the guidance of God's Spirit. It's His. And there's been a temptation throughout church history to separate the Word and the Spirit. But the Word and the Spirit cannot be separated. There's been a temptation throughout history to overemphasize one or the other or underemphasize one or the other. Some people want to overemphasize the Spirit to the neglect of, to the neglect of God's Word. That's what Mr. Fox did with the Quaker movement. Overemphasize a, a mystical experience to the neglect of the written word of God. Less reading of the word, less hearing of the word, and just simply waiting. That's dangerous. And then you have the other extreme. Such an emphasis on the word to the exclusion of God's spirit. Afraid to even talk about the Holy Spirit. That's just as dangerous because you can't even live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You can't even understand the word without the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the spirit of God that enlightens you, that turns a light on it's the Spirit of God that guides us into all truth. So you cannot separate the two. They must remain together. May the Lord help us to take up this sword. Take it up to use it. I believe that in these days we are seeing an unprecedented amount of attack from the enemy, the Bible tells us we're to expect it in the last days, perilous times, dangerous times shall come, and they've come. And your weapon of defense and offense is this book. When you start to neglect it, you start to be defeated. You start to be defeated. Pick it up. Read it. Memorize it. Study it. Use it. May the Lord help us with it. We're going to close in prayer. I wonder, before we do, I wonder how many of you know that you haven't used the sword like you should? Would you raise your hand? Let's get it. Pick it up. Today's the day. Today's the day. And may His Spirit help us. Let's bow in prayer. We'll sing our final hymn. Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto thee that we've been given a weapon. And I ask that we might be forgiven for neglecting this weapon. Forgive us for the times that we thought we were clever enough or strong enough 
to use our own thinking, our own reasoning to defeat the wicked one. Forgive us for the times when we thought that the weapons of our warfare were carnal. Forgive us for the times we thought that the weapons we need to use against the enemy are weapons of reason and logic and intellect. Forgive us for neglecting this sword. Help us today to take it up. Help us to walk closely to thee, Lord, so that we might learn the voice of thy spirit telling us where to turn, what to say, what verse to use, how to use this precious book. We pray for strength amongst the members of our body. Help us, we pray. We praise and thank thee again for this weapon, this tool. We thank thee that thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that it might show us where to go, that it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank thee, Lord, that it's, it is eternal, that long after the attacks of the wicked one are over, that we'll still hold tightly to this book. Help us, Father, to love it, to long for it, Help us be men and women who cannot help but speak the words that are contained therein. Strengthen us for the battle, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name.